Hello, everyone. I need to discuss the fact that this last episode of this series will be my final one about the crime part of my childhood, uh, the religious skepticism I feel at times, and the sexual anguish of my past. I have really done a good job, an excellent job of making sure that all my memories have been told. I've been really formulating in my head about how to get it all out. And after this, this will definitely be the end all be all. It's over. Done. It's a wrap. Finito. I look forward to starting right now. So, I remember being around dudes, criminals, and they would see me talk to women respectfully and the women responding well to me. So they would say, my nigga, watch this shit. Antonio be tricking them chicks and they would see me make women laugh, make women smile, kind words and being jokey and also speaking wise words to them and them being electrified and the dudes would say, you ain't never motherfucking lie. They spellbounded by that cat talking about me. Um, and I remember an interaction where I was talking, you know, I was talking to a dude, criminal dude, a casual conversation, and he was jokingly um, saying to me, Tony, he'll be putting magic spells on these honey dips. And I jokingly said, Bitch, fuck you, nigga. And we just laughed. I was about five at the time. And then, um, women would sometimes tell me that they were being disrespected by men, you know, physical sexual violations. And I would make sure to have them stay in their homes because the guys were coming to their homes to physically and sexually violate them some more. So I would profanely mutter under my breath, 
This is a boatload of bullshit, right? I only said this is a boatload of bullshit. I didn't say right. I was just making sure y'all was following what I'm saying. So I remember... The guys would come up the stairs. I would beat him bloodily on the stairs. And none of the tenants were mad at what I did because these guys were were, were physically and sexually violating them too. So it was one of those run-down apartments, like a run-down shack, wasn't well-kept. Dangerous people are known to be in and out that apartment and the landlord was also physically sexually violating women too. So I went to that apartment. I went armed. I went with the semi-automatic black pistol I told y'all about. And the land, you know, the, the landlord, who is a dude, he, um, tried to have the women sleep with him to pay for the rent. And at the time, it was seen as just sex because. You know, the tenant, you know, women tenants would sleep with the uh, landlord just just for, you know, rent. Every time they had sex, um, the landlord just accepted. And if they gave up any, I mean, if they just gave up at least a hundred or two hundred a month after the sex the rent would be paid for that month in that way and sometimes the women had less than that but if the sex was so good he would accept it or sometimes it could be so good but he's still like hey I still want this amount if the women didn't have all they had, they had to borrow from other tenants just to not be kicked out. So I remember showing up with my gun. I was five, I just walked in there and the dude, the, the landlord dude tried to fight me and I beat him down bloodily on the stairwell. I pushed him down the stairs. Just like I push those rapey, what well, say rapey, because that's not, okay, that may be insensitive to survivors, and I apologize. I meant to say um, rapist dudes, you know, domestic abusers downstairs, right? I'm not saying it's right. I'm just, again, make sure y'all follow me. So I pushed him down the stairs. And, um, I called, and I ordered, kindly ordered the women tenants to call the police. 
So the police came and the women tenants basically told on those dudes and the landlord guy. And they were all locked up. And the women tenants were all ordered by the police to leave the premises because the landlord, unbeknownst to the women tenants, turned that rundown shack of an apartment into an organized crime headquarters. It was an organized crime enterprises too. And the dangerous people turned out to be um, members of the organized crime syndicate that the rundown shack apartment was. So, and the landlord turned out to be some drug boss. That's why usually when women did not pay as much, it didn't really bother him because in his mind, I'm making illegal money outside of this. This is another hustle. And he turned out to be a fraudulent landlord, you know, stealing money from the women, having them underpay, having them overpay all the time. So when, in his mind, oh, this is, y'all are all my illegal income streams. So that rundown shack of apartment was shut down. The women moved to nicer, safer places because the women said, hey, I need a place to stay. I got children or I have elderly uh, loved ones. I got kids with disabilities and the police and the housing authorities were able to say, look, these women are truly in need. It's not their fault that some crooked-ass motherfucker tried to take from them, take their bodies, and take their money. Um, So the Housing Authority police made sure they moved into nicer, safer neighborhoods, the kind of neighborhoods where normally people who aren't middle class would make, would make it in those kind of neighborhoods. But they were able to live in middle class neighborhoods. Some were taken in by kind upper class families. And they had members of the 1%. Some of them had enough compassion to say, hey, I'm going to arrange for you to live in this home. So you had some well-to-do people, not exactly famous people, well-to-do meaning that's a typical verbiage that means people who are extremely far from broke. I mean, they make more than one stream of income where you go, wow, you live in large, basically. So some of those well-to-do people arrange them to stay in very nice, very safe homes where it was normally out of reach for most people, but they bought the homes for them to live in and uh, and chipped in monthly payments so those families had nothing to worry about. And the rest of the families were moved into middle-class neighborhoods where the housing authority said, we'll pay your monthly bills. Just 
go live here because they had no other means. And they gave all they had to these landlords. So the landlords and those rapist dudes are still in prison to this day. That was the, that's what I remember as a child. And uh, I remember um, from time to time I would bump into the, all these women. You know, because I used to roam the streets of D.C. And some lived in Maryland, so I was in Maryland sometimes. I was in Virginia other times, you know. You know, they would we would bump into each other. And um, how did I get around as a kid at five? Well, uh, metro train, metro bus. I remember carpools. I remember they would meet me in D.C. And we would hang out in Maryland where they lived. They would meet me in Virginia. They would meet me not too far from Eisenhower Avenue, you know, or Arlington, one of those areas. And I just remember we would hang out where they lived in Virginia. And uh, for the most part, I just hung out in D.C. pretty much. I remember bumping into them, and they were thankful that I saved their lives. And you're probably wondering, wait a minute. Did the kids turn out safe? Yeah, the kids were safe. The kids were safe uh, because the police and the housing authorities worked together to keep the kids safe. The elderly parents turned out to be well taken care of. And, um, the people with disabilities turned out to be fine, too. Everybody turned out to be fine. Um, you're probably wondering, how did you not get caught with your gun? Well, the women chose not to say anything. And, um, one of the women hit my gun in their room and they were able to get it out of their room before the cops chose to walk in. They um, had somebody hold it for them. Like one of their relatives was like, hey, this is a nice guy, hold the gun for him. So he had the gun and took it home with him. And then the day after all the women left the premises, he gave it back to me um, because he, saw, he, you know, he he came back to the, that place to see if everybody left, and everybody did leave. He went to make sure they fully left because okay, one of the women who was related to him, he turned out to be her. Um, niece because he was her uncle and he was heartbroken to know his niece was living in that kind of bad environment because she was scared to tell him so I remember um, that he saw me because I arrived the same time he did to make sure everybody was gone And so I remember the duct tape, not the duct tape, but the do not enter 
kind of yellow, black, um, what's it called? Um, it's, it's like yellow and black. It's sealed off and it says, do not enter. This is closed, right? It looked like a ribbon sealing off. We'll call it ribbon, but it was sealed off and, um, I fig I actually figured it out. It's called barricade tape. So it's do not enter yellow caution barricade tape. I remember seeing those. I, I would see do not cross police tape and I would see red tape, which means health hazard, imminent safety, prohibition, or danger. So those are the ones I saw often. And the day after when we showed up again, because we arranged to meet at that same place at the same time, because it was... I was able to catch a train there, and he was able to get his car there. The next day, the whole place was, from what I remember, was demolished. I think it was either the next day or a few days after that. I think in a few days after that, they started wrecking ball, just demolishing the whole apartments. And everybody was successfully moved out. Everybody moved out that night. Um, so you had moving trucks taking them out taking them away so it was a few days after that when we arranged to meet that day it was scheduled to be demolished when we got there everything was gone wrecking balled down to the ruins so um that's what I remember happening came to that um I didn't see the I would every now and then bump into the uncle and he, and he and I would just get snacks or drink together. He would, you know, I'm talking about store drinks, not alcoholic drinks, you know. He'd have lemonade, I'd have fruit punch, and go to the store, buy it, and then just sit and talk. And he would update me about his niece and how well she was doing and how she asked about me. Then I would see the niece, you know, out and about around town. And, you know, I would keep up keep in touch with her see how she was doing she had a pager I had a pager so we would just page each other sometimes the crime world gave me bought me a pager so we would just page each other so we would meet up all the time to make sure she was okay and just eat together laugh joke say kind words to each other and that was about it I remember um in the crime world, there was a lot of drug paraphernalia. In the organized crime world, drug paraphernalia is a term to denote any equipment, product, or accessory that was intended or modified for making, using, concealing drugs, typically for recreational purposes. And I saw all the above happening. Drugs such as cannabis, cocaine, heroin, fentanyl, and methamphetamine 
are you know were related to a wide range of paraphernalia that I saw growing up. So yes, I saw marijuana laced with synthetic marijuana laced with gummies and marijuana laced with warfarin. I saw them being used and I sold them all to the adults against my will as a child. I'm not against edibles. I think edibles are cool. I think weed gummies are cool. But because I was five years old, me being surrounded by them against my will involuntarily and giving them to adults and they would pay me for it, it was all bad. Um, I feel like... Um, I think that um, I don't think marijuana should be laced with warfarin. I think they should be separate because um, when I saw marijuana laced with warfarin, there was coughing up blood, vomiting of blood, a material that looks like coffee grounds. Joint pain, discomfort, or swelling, especially after an injury, severe headache or stomach pain, black or bloody stool, red or brown urine, severe bleeding, including heavy and usual menstrual bleeding. I remember seeing all these things. Um, I understand it's a blood thinner. It can treat, prevent blood clots, you know. So they should be kept separate. Um... What are my views on uh, I think there's healthy weed gummies then there's the unhealthy weed gummies that I saw. So the organized crime version is bad. The ones outside organized crime are good. So my thoughts are synthetic weed. Um... It's very concerning to me because I saw hallucinations, anxiety, paranoia, confusion, elevated heart rate, unconsciousness, and even death. I saw that. I saw the above as a child. I saw people be being incoherent, disorderly, and aggressive. So, I'm not a fan of synthetic drugs um, because they make people ill. Um, they cause hospitalizations. 
So I'm not a fan of K2. I'm not a fan of Spice. I'm not a fan of Dawn, Red Dawn, Xmas, and Ice Sky, Bizarro, Snack, Scooby Snacks. I'm just not a fan of synthetic weed. I'm not a fan of synthetic drugs because they have proven... cause all these health problems so what does synthetic weed look like well I remember that they were dried plant material um, in terms of how it looked it's not real weed there's chemical mixture sprayed over it because of the effect so don't be pumped and absolutely don't be fooled so it was, I remember being packaged in foil packets and plastic tubs and contained additives to give it a scent or flavor when smoked. The packaging was usually, was usually brightly colored and features cartoon characters or psychedelic images to make the user associated with weed. It, ne- it doesn't tell you the active ingredients and it doesn't t- give you a warning that it's not for human consumption safely or responsibly at all is only intended as incense. Those warnings is solely an attempt to protect the manufacturers and retailers from being prosecuted. It needs to be attractive to young people, but there were older and old people who were attracted to it too. So I hate synthetic drugs, I hate synthetic weed. Um so and it's the paraphernalia. I was forced to sell synthetic weed, synthetic drugs. Never liked it. Always hated it. Always have, always will. Then it says paraphernalia generally falls into two categories user specific products and dealer specific products. So, for example, you know, I'm just telling you what I remember. The user-specific products I remember it included glass hashish pipes, crack cocaine pipes, smoking masks, hashish bongs, cocaine-free base kits, syringes, roach clips for holding the burning end of a marijuana joint. Um, yeah, there were people who free-based cocaine. Um... I remember some people survived speedball and some people died of speedball. Speedball, power, ball, or over and under is the polydrug mixture of a stimulant with a depressant, usually an opioid. Common stimulants and depressants use recreational drug use Drug use include cocaine or amphetamine with heroin, morphine, and slasher fentanyl that may be taken intravenously or by nasal insufflation. I saw both. Speedballs often give stronger effects in either drug when taken alone due to drug synergy and are particularly hazardous mixture that can easily cause heart attack, respiratory arrest, and death. When compared to single drugs, speedballs are more likely to lead to addiction. Users are more likely to relapse and also to overdose. I even saw fatal overdoses. So I saw people speedballing. 
Um, they usually would mix cocaine and heroin together, and that's how the fatal overdoses would occur. I also remember... Okay, I saw freebasing. Some of it was fatal, some survived. Which is the conjugate-based deprotonated form of an amine as opposed to its conjugate acid protonated form. The amine is often in alkaloids such as nicotine, cocaine, morphine, and ephedrine. Or derivatives thereof. Freebasing is a more efficient method of self-administering aqueducts via the smoking route. Um, so cocaine hydrochloride is called powder cocaine. So I saw people freebasing cocaine often. Then it says some stores sell items for growing hydroponic marijuana, such as guidebooks, fertilizers, fluorescent grow lights, which I sold to people. Um, I sold all to people. The term paraphernalia often refers to items such as hollowed out cosmetic cases, which I sold, or fake pagers when used to conceal legal drugs, which I was forced to do. Um... Or products reported to cleanse an individual's system of drug residues to increase the chance of passing urine analysis drug tests, which I noticed sometimes. Dealer-specific products are used by drug sellers or traffickers preparing drugs for distribution, which I was always seeing. Items such as digital scales, vials, and small zipper storage bags that can be used to package crack Heroin or marijuana falls this category, which I constantly was noticing. Um, I remember vials. Um, For example, a vial is known as a fial or flacon. It's a small glass or plastic vessel or bottle often used to store medication in the form of liquids, powders, or capsules. I remember crack vials and cocaine vials, though. They can also be used as scientific samples, vessels, for instance, in auto-sampler devices and analytical chromatography. Vial-like glass containers date back to classical antiquity. Modern vials are often made of plastic, such as polypropylene. These are different types of vials such as a single dose vial multi-dose vials often used for medications the single dose vial is only used once whereas a multi-dose vial can be used more than once the cdc says specific guidelines on multi-dose vials so that's what i noticed it was forced to sell going up um And what I'm about to say is very shocking, uh, but it has to be told. Um, it's good to it's it's good to get all this pain out, and I'm gonna do it right now. So you're probably wondering 
did any religious people ever were were they ever a part of the drug customers sex work customers and alcohol customers yes i would say many of the drug customers the sex work customers and the alcohol customers were preachers, pastors, reverends, elders, deacons, priestess, bishops, archbishops, resident bishops, doctors, meaning clerical titles, presbyters, chaplains, chancellors, abbots, patriarchs, primates, Presiding prelates, major archbishops, metropolitan bishops, archbishops, African bishops, titular bishops, auxiliary bishops, co-jutter bishops, core bishops, cardinals, cardinal who's also an archbishop, abbess, prioresses, superiors of a religious order of women or a province, protonatory, apostolic, honorary prelates, chaplain of his holiness, vicar generals, Judicial vicars, ecclesiastical judges, episcopal vicars, vicar, foreign dean, provincial superiors, rectors, monsignors, canons, priors, pastors of a Catholic parish, parochial vicar, permanent deacons, lay ecclesial ministers, religious brothers, including monks, religious sisters, including nuns, transitional deacons, seminarian deacons, candidates, other theology uh, students. President, LDS, church honorifics, local and general young men presidents and counselors, young men presidencies, assistants and a matrons, wife of a, wives of a temple and presidency counselors, counselors and a temple presidency, temple presidents, teachers, stake presidents and counselors and a stake presidency, local and general Sunday school presidents and counselors and Sunday school presidencies, local and general relief society, young women and primary presidents and their counselors. 70s presidents of the 70 president of the church and council of the first presidency priests residing patriarchs patriarchs missions presidents wives missions presidents councils of mission presidency full-time male missionaries full-time female missionaries high priests elders district presidents and councils in a district presidency deacons councils in a branch presidency branch presidents apostles a president of the quorum of the 12 apostles or acting presidents bishops councils in a bishopric Residing bishops and councils and presiding bishopric, uh, novices, rasophore, nuns, nuns, novices, shememonks, stravroformonks, rasophore monks, monks, abbesses, abbots, deacons, wives, hyrio deacons, deacon monks, archdeacons, protodeacons, deacons, priests, wives, hyrio monks, priest monks, archimandrites, archpriests, protopriests. Priests, presbyters, titular slash auxiliary bishops, bishops, titular metropolitans, metropolitans, archbishop of a subnational church, archbishop of an independent church, patriarchs, ecumenical patriarch of Const- 
Constantinopoles. So, a lot of them were of the Christian honorifics and styles and the Christian Christianity's ecclesiastical titles and styles, too. So, basically, um... They fit all the ecclesiastical titles, all the formal styles, addresses for members of the clergy in the Christian world. The rest were from mosques, temples, synagogues, centers, as well. The first set came from churches. Don't get me wrong. A lot of the drug customers, sex work customers, alcohol customers were not of the church, didn't go to church, but more of them were in the church than the ones outside of the church. So more church people came for, came, came to be sex work customers, drug customers, alcohol customers, than the non-church people. And what was the, what happened as an aftermath? Basically, there was And I say this delicately, basically all the type of stuff that you would see in, and I say it often, all the type of stuff that you would see in the Maury show, the Steve Wilco show, the Judge Mathis show, um, the, Ju- the Judge Judy show, and the Jerry Springer show, and reality TV shows like Love and Hip Hop and Flavor of Love. All those kinds of incidents you see in all the episodes of all those shows, it happened more in the church world because of what they were doing in their double living, more than outside, more than the, the more than the people outside of church in terms of how they were living. So basically, all all of the tabloid talk show subjects that you see. All those were realities in what I saw. More in the church world than the non-church world, secular world. To sum it all up. Um, That concludes the crime part of my childhood. That concludes all the religious skepticism of my childhood. And... Now we can talk about the sex part of my child, in the sex part, the sexual anguish. So, um, 
Wait, wait, I'm almost done with the crime part. And I'm almost done with the religious skepticism part. So here we go. Sometimes I would see drug users burn themselves or, you know, as soon as they punch the syringes in, they die. I see that. Burn themselves, meaning, you know, when they light up to use heroin with the spoon, heat up the spoon. That's how they die. And there are times where guys would try to use billy clubs, batons, mace, tasers, and sticks on women. And I would take all those items and savagely beat the dudes down in bloody cults. Because of it, the cops would be called. They would get arrested. I wouldn't because... The women chose not to tell on me. And you're probably wondering, how did this happen? Well, the streets took care of them. And um, after I did, you know, they would take care of them in the form of threatening them. If you tell Antonio, you're going to die. And just say, hey, it was self-defense. And, you know, they was in a fight for their lives. And the police would believe them. And they'll be the only ones in jail, from what I remember. Okay, and um, last detail of my crime life. Okay, that's why sometimes the streets would call me Billy Club, Baton, Tace, Mazer, Mace. They call me Mace, Mazer because of the Mace. And they would call me a uh, baseball bat because that one of the things they tried to use when it was baseball bat and I beat them with it. But these names didn't last any, didn't last long after that because the streets made it clear. If you keep insulting him, he won't exist no more. He won't exist anymore. That's why they stopped calling me these things, these names. Well, anything anything with religion, well, now you're understanding more of my struggles with religion because I was so used to, you know, religious people living double lives, being double-minded, double-dipping, double-dealing, and claiming to avoid carnality, but they kept stimulating themselves with carnality. So, that concludes all the religious skepticism that I needed to ever say. Now, let's talk about the sex part of my past. I tried my best to stay away from adolescent females as an adolescent. And I tried my best to stay away from adult females as a early young adult man, 18 through 21. Uh, because I did not like the fact that I wasn't taught how to sexually resist someone respectfully or turn down someone sexually kindly. I didn't know how. So I um, also didn't understand sexual self-respect. So I had trouble with sexually respecting other people. Like I was never a sex criminal. I never committed any sex crimes. Never, I've never will. But what I mean is I didn't know how 
to say no to them in a way that reinforce sexual respect, sexual self-respect for themselves too. Um, I just remember at times as I told y'all before using the pull-out method it wasn't just the women upset that I did that but the young ladies I was sleeping with in adolescence who were adolescents themselves they were also upset that I used to pull out method. I didn't always think he's a condom because I would be so into the moment that I would be like, oh, wow. You know, I need to keep my cum and pre-cum and my penis away from them when the climax gets too much. And that's how I would keep myself from being a father at the time. I did that as an adolescent. I did that as a grown man, 18 to 21. Um, I was just so glad that I avoided sex scandals and sex work scandals too because you're probably wondering didn't you used to say you you slept with brothworks for free let me give you more details on that so I remember um, they would refer to me as the sweet college man. Um, I remember that they often would uh, talk to each other about me. More, they focused more on my personality characteristics, extraordinary kindness, extraordinary wisdom, and being extraordinarily no nonsense. They liked how soft-spoken I was. They liked my chivalry. Then they would focus on my physical characteristics. They would brag about my genital size, my sexual Olympian athleticism, which involved tons of stamina. That's what they said. And uh, how disciplinarian I was. When it came to sex, you know, they liked being manhandled. Um, the rough sex, basically. Not sexual violence. And I remember that they uh, talked about... How much they liked me being daddy to them. D-A-D-D-Y. They liked, they're like, I just like a real man being a real man. That's what they said. Um, 
and that, and that's how other women would approach me. Sometimes there were there were some women who would walk up to me and say "fuck me," and I remember we would end up having sex in every room of their home shortly after that. And there were some women who walked up to me and say, you're going to eat me out like a professional. I'm going to blow job you like a veteran and you're going to dick me up, dick me down, and dick me all around. And that's and all the above, that's exactly what would happen. They was they even told me I'ma have you pussified. I'ma have you pussified and I'ma be cop uh Digmatized, cognitized. And they said, I'm gonna have you vulvified and clitified and all the above. That's exactly what would happen to So sexually aggressive women not exactly sexual violence. That's what would happen. Um, I remember they would have these, um, and I can be honest about this, um, they would have these sexual contests, and they usually wanted me, um, to be the judge. For example, they would have these swinger party contests, swinger gathering contests, partner swapper party contests that they would have me participate in, and I was the judge, and I and I would sit, I would sit, I would judge them all favorably. I never did favoritism because I was just so happy. To get any kind of attention from women. My self-esteem wasn't the best back then. Um, They would have me participate in these orgy contests. And bunga bunga orgy contests. And again, no favoritism on my part. I judged them all equally and fairly. Because again, I was just so happy to get any kind of attention from women. Because my self-esteem wasn't the best. And lastly, I remember they would have me participate in sex club competitions, sex party competitions, um, circle jerk competitions, but daisy chain competitions, gangbang competitions versus gangbang competitions, which means sexual intercourse while multiple women, which one man is the central focus. They'll have me do threesome, three-way competitions some and four-way competitions, menage a quatre competitions, menage a tri competitions, double penetration competitions, 
It's been cheering competitions, monogamous group sex, same room sex, all swapping competitions. And usually I was the judge. And uh, I no favoritism. I judged Mowgli fairly because I was happy to get any kind of attention from women. And that's what would happen. The Circle Jerks competitions were scarce and rare, but the biggest competitions they would have me judge them fairly equally. No favoritism the most was the reverse gangbang, which means sexual intercourse involving multiple women, which one man is the central focus. That was the biggest competition they had me do. And of course, these were all the non-monogamous sex competitions. Um, and, you know, they had these bisexual bathhouse competitions. I was judged favorably the most. Um, you probably won. And, um, I remember, um, so I was probably in brothels at the time when I was, you know, I didn't pay to sleep with the brothel workers, so... In the beginning, we would have sex in those places, but eventually it moved to, like, their actual homes, especially the madams. This was when I was in college at the time, and, you know, I, um... I was a sexually undisciplined young man at the time. I was sexually broken sexually dysfunctional, uh, sexually naive, sexual naivete happened to me, and I was sexually clueless at the time. Um, I want to make it clear, I am in favor of ethical brothels, ethical par- ethical massage parlors, ethical non-monogamous sex, ethical sex clubs, Ethical circle jerks, ethical daisy chains, ethical gangbangs, ethical reverse gangbangs, ethical threesomes, ethical three ways, ethical menage a trois, ethical foursomes, ethical four ways, ethical menage a quatres, ethical double penetration, ethical spinturian, ethical monogamous group sex, ethical same room sex, ethical soft swapping, ethical swinger parties, ethical partner swapping parties, ethical swinger gatherings. Uh, ethical orgies and ethical bunga bunga orgies. I'm in favor of the ethical versions of all the above. I'm in favor of ethical group sex, ethical private sex parties, ethical semi-public swinger gatherings, okay? That's where I stand. But these were all unethical because all of this was done from a place of unresolved compound traumas. None of these contests are bad as long as they're done from a place of healthy self-esteem, not from a place of self-victimization, which is a byproduct of self-hatred. And I do remember... that the women responded happily when I didn't pick favorites. It gave them a false sense of healthy self-esteem. And I, we were, all of us were trauma victims. Didn't know how to heal. 
So there were private sex party contests and semi-public swinger gathering contests that um, they had me be the judge that played no favorites. That was the sexual heinousness of that part of my past. So I was exposed to unethical group sex, meaning, don't get me wrong, no sex crimes were committed at all. I can assure you. Um, so that's what I mean by unethical group sex back then. Um, I'm in favor of ethical group sex. I definitely am. I feel... Um, last thing I want to say about that part of my life, there was... Um, these deep-throating contests and cunnilingus analingus contests that the women would have me participate in. And because I played no favorites, every other week they would have me and them play in these contests. Usually I was the judge. When they would judge, they would say I was the best at eating them out in terms of their genitalia and in terms of their rectum. And when it came to um, what is called um, fellatio, fellation, blowjob, BJ, giving head, sucking off, teabagging contest, me, you know, I rated them all favorably. It was a lot of women taking turns. Sucking me off. It was a lot of women taking turns. Deep-throating me. And a lot of women taking turns teabagging me. Like when I did the cunnilingus um, contest with them, or as they call it, eating pussy contest, they said I was the best. It was they they they. I would be the only guy who take turns eating a lot of women out. And in the beginning, it was a lot of guys and guys would eat them out. But I would, I won every contest. And the guys would get jealous. Then after a while, they'd go, well, I can't be mad. Tony's a cool dude, I understand. So they would quickly get over their jealousy from what I know. Then after a while, they say, you know, the other guys are just bad at eating me out. And other women say, yeah, the other guys are bad at eating us out too. So they would say, so they would say, well, Antonio's perfect at eating us all out. So for now on, he's the only guy that can eat us out. So I would eat them all out, one by one. Sometimes I'll eat them out, uh, two, like two on one side, two on the other side, just take turns. And when it came to 
other women. I remember in the beginning. With the circle jerks. The other guys would get jealous. Because. I was seen as the sexist. In terms of being the circle jerks. So eventually they got rid of all the other guys. And said we just want to see Antonio and Masculate in front of us. So I would. And they would make me the number one person and the only person after a while that they wanted to see just he's a circle jerk all by himself this is what they told me and then I remember um I remember um and the, you know, when it came to the other men, I noticed the women, they, the women blowjob better than the men. That's why I rated the women as best. Plus, I was a lady's first person. It was, my lady's first is healthy. Back then, it was Miss Channel. Um, again, none of these contests are bad. When you're a self-loving person, but it was bad back then because it was all done out of self-abuse. Um, I think about how um, when it came to part of my life back then, I would say they also had me do analingus contest. That was the kind of contest where we would do together. Um, so we would do rimming contest, rim job contest, eating ass contest, tossing the salad contest, anal oral contest, anal oral sex. And at first, I would, and at first, all the other guys would do that to the women. I was the best. They got rid of all the other guys because I was the best and they were terrible. At first, they were jealous. They got over it quickly. Then the women would be eating me, my ass out. And I say, y'all the best at doing it. So that was a part of our sex life. We would do analingus to each other um they would they as they would say they would dick suck and um I would eat them out and then there was so we won we would win each other's oral sex competitions um with each other It'll be me as the only guy and everybody else is women. And the rest were women too. And I remember the last thing we did was we would have um, these uh, anal sex contests. Actual anal sex. Then there was pegging and sex toys. And I was the best between me and the women. We, I was considered the best. Um, the other guys failed in the mind, in the, in the women's mind, uh, the, the guys failed when it came to successful pegging, successful sex toy usage and act and when it came to anal sex and they were just uh, like, man, it's bad anal sex. So I remember 
the women said I was the best. I said they were all the best. So anal sex was a yeah, anal sex competitions. That's what we did. So after a while, they just stopped the competitions and say, let's just do all these things for pure fun. And that's all that we did sexually speaking. So that was a that was my sexual past. And uh, we would pretty much do, we would have porn sex with each other. Kinky sex, freaky sex, sensual sex, romantic sex, rough sex. All kind of sex. Lawfully speaking, we did it all. Slow sex, medium sex, fast sex, messy sex, sweaty sex. You name it, we did it. Nothing involving underage, though. No underage shit at all. Fuck all that. And, um, that's what happened. We did BDSM, so. None of these things were bad for me now and forevermore in terms of how sexually behaved moving forward as a self-care person back then. My self-care was mostly non-existent. So, um, Again, I'm a sex-positive feminist. Um, I'm a member of the sex-positive movement. I believe in sex positivity and pro-sex. And um, I value safer sex, safe sex, and comprehensive sex education. And I value body positivity, too. Um... That's what I was, that was my life back then, and, um, I'm glad I got everything motherfucking out. Wait, white women wanted to have my babies the most. And they were my, and they were the sex partners I had the most. And um, who wanted to have my babies the least? The Asian women, because they were my least um, sex partners in terms of what I who I had. Um, and we did every sex act in every sex position. Myself and all the other sex partners I had that I just told y'all about. We had lawful public sex and lawful private sex. part of sex is that the women were happy that I made them squirt every time they had sex and that I made them experience female ejaculation every time we had sex. Every time we had sex, there was always full body orgasms and multiple orgasms. 